Yo, what's going on, Twim Nation, as the sisters like to say? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder, the host, your ghost host, Disney fans, and I'm very glad to be here with all of you this week. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. And uh, if you haven't been to thisweekinmormons.com, you should do that. It'll fill your heart with joy and wonder as will following us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and interacting there, and as will joining Patreon. And because later in the show, we're going to talk about someone who has uh, his own Patreon page, where he's charging $37 per person per month, which we never suggest. Um, I feel bullish, so I think you should all go there and pledge at least $15 a month. That's what I'm... Wait, you should give a better, like a punchier, non-round number, like 37 Maybe not 15 Maybe they should be pledging sixteen fifty. Like, it should be a prime. Thirty-seven is a prime number, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So seventeen dollars, seventeen dollars, seventeen dollars a month. All right, seventeen dollars a month, everybody. That's what I'm looking for now on Patreon. Hit it. Get in there. I, I'm not going to lie. When I did the show with Richie a couple weeks ago, he actually gave an impassioned, um, thoughtful pitch for Patreon, and then some of you responded. So I guess you'll listen to Richie when he takes Patreon seriously, but not me when I joke about it. So I don't know what the balance is, but. Uh, this is real. We're in your inbox. Make it happen. They've just uh, been anyway, waiting that, for you to ask for a prime number. That's uh, that's. I all. guess that's what it was. Seventeen dollars a month, everyone. Increase or your 19. pledge. Go for nineteen. I'll, I'll settle for seventeen. I'm okay with it, but I won't go any lower than thirteen. Eleven is also a prime number. Anyway, um, Jared Gilds is here. Of course, that's his wonderful voice. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing? I'm I'm okay. Uh, have you are you familiar with a a condition called frozen shoulder? Frozen shoulder. Yeah. No, that sounds like a dance. No, no. I don't know what frozen shoulder. Oh, is. I wish it was a dance. That could be what really cool. Uh, no, I, it is a condition. It is like that's like the the layman's term. Like the official term is something like what is it? My doctor wrote it down for me. It's uh, adhesive capsulitis, which basically means the ligaments in my shoulder are like bind bound up and like sticking to each other. So I've got it. It hurts, man. It's a painful, painful thing. I, That's I got a fun. Cor- yeah, I got a cortisone yeah. shot, and I have to go to physical therapy, and I have to do these stretches at home twice a day, and it's like a little miniature self torture session twice a day every day. I think things are getting better, but man, yeah, it's a painful. My right shoulder has very limited range of motion, and if I go past that range of motion, I have to like sit and lie down, or you know, because it's yeah. like it's like excruciatingly painful. It's like for something that's really not doing any damage to me, it's like just way more painful than you would think. Anyway, but things are, are getting a little better. My, my, is this, my shoulder is, this, is slowly unfreezing. Is that So is that like curable or is this a chronic thing you're going to have to deal with? No, in fact, okay. it's, it's inter- it is curable. Um, I was told by my physical therapist that it, I should expect eight to ten weeks in physical therapy, which is long for physical therapy but it's something that you know you can slowly stretch out especially with the cortisone shot uh yeah it's something that's definitely curable but they don't know what causes it uh nobody knows they have correlated it to people with diabetes which i don't have Hmm. or to people with insulin resistance which i don't think i have but my just to be sure that orthopedist has referred me to a endocrinologist so i can get a a test to see if i have insulin resistance that's great and then you get to pay that specialist fee that's so good Oh no, I don't have specialist fees. I've got I've got decent insurance. Oh well, lucky you, bully for you. <laughs> but yeah, Yay, America. So, yeah. So the so I mean, knowing if I have insulin resistance, like, will can help because again, like they like I said, they don't know what causes this frozen shoulder thing, but they know it's correlated with like things like diabetes and insulin resistance. So if I'm 
you know, taking a drug or changing my diet to help if I have insulin resistance and I, you know, address it to make things work better in my body, then they say, then statistically, you're, you know, the likelihood of frozen shoulder goes down uh, of it coming back anyway. But yeah, it's just one of these random things where I thought I had like injured myself, but no, it's just my aging body saying, Hey, here's a thing we can give you with has no known cause. Uh, but you know, so work, work your way through that. Well, I, I feel a little awkward about this conversation because I feel like it's just one big HIPAA violation. You know, oh. I am asking you things that I'm not allowed to ask you. No, I, I, I think I violated so. my own HIPAA rights by bringing it up. So You did. I don't even yeah. know why you're telling me this information. I should probably go to prison. Shameful. Anyway, how are you, Jeff? It's been a good ride. Just I'm hum dandy, buddy. Is hum there anything dandy. I can ask about that would violate your HIPAA rights? Plenty of things, probably. Um, Do you ever I'll, get I'll, like ingrown hairs in your beard? Sometimes. You know what I've gotten weirdly in the beard? They're, I don't know if they're ingrown hairs. I'll get these little... You know, a little more whites, you, you can empathize with this. A little more white and gray are showing up, which I don't mind at all. But like every now and then I get these weird white ones that are almost like, they almost feel like the texture of plastic. It's yeah. almost like, the, do you understand what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't understand what that is. Like what's, they don't seem like hair and they're almost always like split a little bit, mm-hmm. but they it look, it feels like a little piece of uh yeah, like AstroTurf. It doesn't seem like hair. So at least you know what I'm talking about. This is a thing. I don't understand what this is. This must be one of just the wonders of nearing 40, I guess. Uh, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, you mentioned nearing 40. I know I'm a, just a few years older than you, but I was yeah. noticing, you know, compared to the, the white, this section of my beard grows back wider every time I grow it back. And then my, I've got a lot of salt pepper going on in my hair, and yours and your beard is still, are still pretty dark. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, this the the chinny the chinny chin chin is starting to get a little bit wider. I've got I got some salt going on the sides. I mean, mm-hmm. I, as long as I've known you, you've always had some salt in your hair. Like I found my first gray hair time, on my yeah. mission. I remember it was my like around my twentieth birthday, and I was like, "What? There's some gray hair," and I taped it to a, a little black piece of uh, construction paper and mailed it home. <laughs> It's probably in a box somewhere. <laughs> Got to find that, dude. <laughs> I, have a, I had a mission buddy of mine who started balding more on his mission. And so he had this series of photos and we didn't have digital cameras even. So he'd like tilt his head down and pull it, you know, pull his hair up to try to see how much recession he had going on mm-hmm. along his crown. So he had like a series of photos like every month for his entire mission of that angle, of like the top of his head as he was tracking his baldness. Cause he was absolutely obsessed with his receding hairline. It's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. Someday that photo series will be in his uh, family search profile and his ancestors or his descendants will be able to track his baldness on his machine. Yeah, maybe something like that. I can out <laughs> that. That was actually former uh, guest of the show, Alan Mount, who does marriage on a tightrope, everybody, if you've heard. Oh, funny. Heard yeah, but uh, Alan's a good guy. So otherwise, we're good. It's my wife's birthday tomorrow and I have not figured out what to do on that front. I'm I'm bad husband right now. It's difficult sometimes, especially so, since my wife is like the best at birthdays. Yeah. She knows how to find good surprises and plan awesome outings and whatever else. And then I'm just like, everyone, then when her birthday roll, rolls around, I, I do my best. And she always says she's happy, but I always feel like, no, I've let you down because your birthday was nowhere near as awesome as my birthday. It's, it's, it's tough. That is the boat I am in. Yes. Same yeah. thing. I, I don't know what to do. We'll see. So if any of you listen to this prior to tomorrow, you know, the first day download people, um, by all means, 
sound off with your ideas, not knowing my wife at all. I would love for you to chime in about what she's been on. I mean, she has guest hosted the show in the past, but we haven't heard from her in a while. So that's life here. DC is DC. It's, it's very uh, humid right now. And Idaho is Idaho. And it's very dry. So actually, we've had some rain lately. So look at this. What a wonderful time. What a yeah. wonderful experience for everybody. Yep. Yeah, I don't think we have anything else crazy cooled out, but it's nice to be back with all of you. We had, we had the sisters last week doing their thing, and uh, thanks to everyone who hung out for our crazy crossover episode with the Cultural Hall. Something we never thought we would ever do, yeah, ever you, in the history of this program. You sold out, Jeff. But Richie and I bonded. It was very nice. Was you mended nice. fences between you? I suppose so. Yeah, sure. We've mended fences. It's just been, it's been, it's at very least, it's detente, right? That's I what see. we can go for. Um, whether we get to a smart treaty, we'll find or out. We're, we're just glass, talking about, nucle- we're, yeah, we're just using nuclear disarmament metaphors on a show about Latter-day Saints, everybody. So, but Viva La Reagan and Viva La Gorbachev. Um, interesting bit of news. There's, I don't know that we have, there's no like mega, mega news this week. There are some interesting stories and some things that are worth discussing, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. no single one is like, who oh boy, here's what went down. So I'll lead off with a little bit of administrivia that's a tad old, but I don't believe the sisters covered it uh, last week. So that's why I don't mind bringing it up. What are you doing, Trello? Opening a new tab. Come on. So uh, Area 70s, one of, I'd say, the more misunderstood callings and quorum organizations in the church, uh, have been released prior to general conference. So you might not think much of this, and and just, just in case you're unaware of the structure, you know, we're talking about quorums of the 70, right? The first and second quorums of the 70, which I believe still technically exist, even though now they always refer to those members as general authority 70s, and they don't really delineate which quorum uh, they are a member of. But I, I imagine they are technically part of either the first or the second quorum. I'd say traditionally the first quorum has been more of the ones who hang out for more than five years for whatever reason. And second quorum, for the most part, was ones who would get five-year callings and get released. Yeah, the, and I think the first quorum, it wasn't just that it was longer than five years. I think they the official, at least until, until I, I don't 70. know if they've changed it. But yeah, they would get released when they were 70, Yeah, um, which is kind of funny. But, um, so that was pretty much the yeah. norm. And then back in, it wasn't until the 90s, I think, under President Hinckley, when we got rid of regional authorities and reorganized this and put in this area area 70 structure and and organized additional quorums of the 70 but none of these quorums are general authorities these are not general like, authorities and officers area of the authority 70s. they're area authority 70s which means it's a calling like any other local calling as in these people still have day jobs and they're right. set, being a 70 is part of their gig uh, and this is not of course to confuse them with 70 which was also a different form of calling that some people had even up until like the 60s and 70s like you can meet people who are ordained 70s in your I did on my mission and I was very confused about this. This guy's like, I was a 70. I was like, you're not a general authority. He's like, no, I'm like, I'm an ordained like 70. This was my, a thing back. back Yeah. Like, like the office of high priest, it was a, an office that was um, bestowed by the stake. It was underneath the administration of the presiding high priest of your stake, which is the stake president. My dad was a 70. uh, But then when he got ordained high priest, it canceled that out. So, you know, but yeah, that's uh, well, so. Is seventy lower than high priest in this? And um, not to not to be higher, you know, rank them, but yeah, yeah. High priest yeah. was like the I guess far. I mean, but I mean, you're right. It's not ranked, but it is kind of ranked. Kind of like how when you get ordained a teacher, you don't. You're still ordained a deacon technically, but you're you, you're hold the office of teacher. Yeah, and similarly, it went. I'm pretty sure it went in the in the Melchizedek priesthood. It went elder seventy 
high priest. So uh, when my dad got ordained a high priest, he was no longer considered a 70. That is the way I understand it. If any, if, if we are wrong, feel free to correct us, Twim Nation. Yes. So today we have our area 70s, and there are many other quorums of the 73rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and even 10th, 11th, 12th quorums of the 70, folks. Um, how that gels with what the scriptures mandate, I'm not exactly sure, but whatever. I remember uh, that this was uh, addressed back when President Hinckley uh, organized it, because back then I think they went up to five quorums of the 70 uh-huh. uh, when he first started this area authority thing. And he said that the scriptures say up to seven quorums of right. 70. And he said, you know, that that's basically, I remember him explaining, this isn't an actual limit. We can administratively organize as many as we need. Kind of like how when, uh, Jesus told Peter to forgive until 70 times seven. Like he didn't actually mean stop <laughs> forgiving people after 490 forgivenesses. So anyway, I wish. Um, so one thing I didn't, I forgot about this in April conference, they called 77 new area seventies, but they were sustained in the leadership meetings rather than in the general session of general conference. So, you know, when they read the, the, the callings and releases, and if you followed this in conference, it's, my memories are always of it being President Uchtdorf because for some reason he was always the one sent into battle to do this. And poor President Uchtdorf with his German accent would be stuck reading a lot of diverse, wonderful names. But the, the area 70s are when things get much more diverse, I'd say, in the ranks of leadership. You know, that slowly is filtering up into the 70 and, and you know, eventually the 12 and what have you. But this is where you have people who are where they are and live where they live and that is their culture. So whether it is a lot of interesting names that derive from parts of Africa or whether it's East Asian names or whether it is, you know, Spanish and Portuguese names, a lot of things like that. We've always heard them kind of struggle through those, but they did this in the leadership meetings uh, instead prior to conference, instead of spending that time reading up all the sustainings. And likewise, now they are releasing a bunch of them prior to conference altogether. So it was effective August 1st. So they've already been released for about a week. We're not going to read the list of all of them unless you really want to have that, you know, that that general conference vibe where we butcher through their names like everyone else. But it's a, it's a lengthy list. You know, you're talking a whole number of them, a whole bunch. So it's the first time they've ever done this though. That's the big deal. They've never released them outside of conference since the, I I will say that, you know, as a, as sort of a shout out or whatever to president Uchtdorf or former president Uchtdorf or whoever now does those things. You can tell, I mean, I always thought, man, these guys really made an effort. Like it seemed like, you know, with certain names, they would try to like have the correct accent, you know, like an accent instead of sound, you know, saying it like yeah. just like a gringo or, you know, like I guess that's, that's what I associate because I was Spanish speaking on my mission and sometimes I had to say things like a gringo. But like, uh, you know, you, often I was just like, you know, I don't know if he said that right, but you could tell he sure was making an effort. So, but you're yeah. right. I mean, and, I, and if there's a part of me that wonders if this is one of the reasons why they're making this switch because that way they kind of take the burden off whoever's conducting that business to not have to struggle through all these names. And also, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a long list. And so yeah. it, it takes up some time and we go to general conference in part to take care of administrative things. Like it's a conference of the church. And so we sustain and, and uh, talk about, uh, you know, new temples and, you know, other sorts of church business. Uh, but also we're there to be edified and be taught. And so maybe they kind of thought, you know, at the point now where we're like reading 50 names, at a time for releases and then another 50 for some callings. Like maybe they're figuring this is business we can take care of outside of the actual general session of conference and spend more time on having people speak to us and testify to Christ, which makes sense to me. That's my speculation anyway. 
there's an interesting name on the list, which I don't know if people were aware of. The very last one on the list is one Kevin J. Worthen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who is the president of BYU. Now, what's interesting is some previous presidents of BYU, like Cecil, were members of the were general authority seventies at the same time. But but so Kevin Worthen, on top of his day job, has had a calling as an area seventy in the Utah area. Uh, something interesting you also might not know is his middle name is literally just J. Oh, really? So this only jumped out at me when I looked at this beforehand. You'll notice um, everyone's got the classic church names, some of them using you know C, Dale, Willis. If you look at Kevin J. Worthen, there's no dot next to the J. So mm-hmm. you might think it's a typo because everyone else got them. If you look him up on Wikipedia, there is also no dot. The letter J is his middle name. That's it. My father's middle name was W. But it did have a period after it. Um, yeah. The, What's the sto- behind that? Okay, so the story goes: so he's got mm. uh, family names that were being debated. So on like his mother's side, I want to say, uh, oh no, okay. So the father's side, uh, my grandfather wanted his middle name to be William because his I think is either his father or grandfather was named William, and then on my grandmother's side, she wanted the his middle name to be Wilbert not Wilbur Wilbert uh and, I, and again that's either like it was like her father or grandfather whose name was Wilbert and they couldn't agree and so they said well we'll put W for now and they on the and on the birth certificate it's W period and they said we'll figure it out later and they never did and so it just remained Stephen W Gillens for the rest well, of the Well you don't life. want to go back in and pay those administrative costs just to change no. somebody's name later on that's that's No and my father-in-law has a similar story his middle name is just an initial and but his I believe does not have a period and I don't know I I, I was like why and I and I don't think he he fully knows why so my both my father and my father-in-law have had initial middle names That's interesting What's most interesting is then when I have had to do a security clearance paperwork and filling out, you know, my father's name, my mom doesn't have a middle name. My father's middle name was an initial. And so when I'm filling out these forms, I would always get them sent back to me and saying, you need to include the full middle name for both your mother and your father. And I would have to send back and saying, my mom doesn't have one. And this is my father's full middle name. And there was always this back and forth because yeah, they assumed it. I didn't understand. Even after I explained it, they're like, no, 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 really. You need the full one. And I'm like, I'm telling you, my father's middle name is W. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, funny. Fun stuff. Okay. It's your turn. I'm done with that story. Go, okay. Good job, uh, this is uh, just, you know, since we're still kind of, we're in the little light warm up stories. Another interesting thing that came up, this is from the church news website. Uh, they, they just very recently posted a fun little infographic chart and a couple paragraphs. Uh, and the, the title of this is what are the countries with the most Latter-day Saints? And we've debated whether or not that should be, which are the countries with the most Latter-day Saints or maybe, maybe change it even just to say which countries contain the most Latter-day Saints. Maybe that would be, a, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We're both editors at heart. Uh, but it's a really interesting map and chart, and it's not surprising that the, the the single country. I mean, we've talked about many times before that there are more members outside of the United States than there are inside. Sure. But still, the single country with the most, I guess, the plurality of Latter Day Saints inside of its borders is the United States of America, and also unsurprisingly, number two is Mexico, and number three is Brazil, and number four is the Philippines. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the top, I would say, 10 aren't really all that shocking at all. I thought it was interesting as you get farther down the list, which ones show up. Japan made the the top 30. 
which I thought was cool. Uh, it's higher than Ghana, which I thought was interesting. I would have guessed that Ghana, because missionary work has been exploding there for the last decade or so. And I would have thought yeah. that uh, Ghana would have surpassed Japan, but not so. Anyway, it's just like, we're not going to go through every single one here, but it's interesting to look at and kind of say, oh, you know, which, you know, why is this country so high? Also, when you think about it, so, you know, like I said, Brazil is number three. And so then you think, and we've got a Brazilian apostle in the Quorum of the Twelve. Mm-hmm. So it was like, that kind of makes sense. And then you look, I was looking for Germany on the list because we have a German apostle. It's not there. Doesn't count <laughs> Which it, is, man. again, not, not, not surprising. I, like, I didn't necessarily expect to see any European country. Well, except for uh, United Kingdom is number 14, which again, we have a whole history there. Yeah. Um, but I was like, not necessarily expecting to find Germany, but I was like, it's so interesting. I mean, I know that the Lord calls whom the Lord calls, and he's not going to necessarily go with the most statistic, statistically likely person, although we have a bunch of Americans, so I guess they are the, the most statistically likely people to, be, to populate the corner <laughs> yeah, of the Yeah, quit whining about representation, people. It's clearly being represented. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah, Germany didn't even no- make the list. So yeah, Elder Uchtdorf, no. I guess he's just a, a chosen fellow. Um, anyway, I don't know if I have anything else to say about this other than that it's really interesting, and I'm sure people who are demographic nerds um, will will love to take a look. Do you have and anything to we'll, add about this? Well, I think we'll see a lot of the African nations are probably going to rise up even more as growth is going on. I mean, go, go see Nigeria is number 13. I mean, it's right behind Canada. That'll change. They're only 7,000 members shy of Canada. I think Nigeria is going to be a top tenner when no time at all. I actually kind of thought Canada would have more. I wasn't necessarily um, surprised to see where they are on the list as far as order, but I was kind of yeah. surprised to see that they're just shy of 200,000 because they're. I know a lot of Canadian LDS people. And, yeah. you know, and, and then when you take into consideration places like Cardston, where there are, there are entire communities that are like very LDS heavy. I just thought there'd be more than 200,000 members yeah, of Canada. But, well, yeah, but, but like nobody lives in Cardston. I mean, it's- Well, nobody it's, lives in Canada, so- That's the other issue. And, it's and a that huge speaks, land mass that has very few people for how, how big it is. That speaks to the, what I would love to see. This is just an outright ranking of the number of members. I want to, I might actually do it. I want to run these numbers against total population to find out really how many members per capita. The population density of LDS. Yes, seeing, I want to see how densely LDS a country is because that totally, I think that- <laughs> That would, I'm sure, that t- change the order of the list. You know, well, I think again, Tonga becomes number one after the oh, I'm sure. mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, like I said, you know, I was surprised to see Ghana below Japan. I'm sure that would flip them in the list. Like Ghana would certainly shoot up about, way above where Japan is as Probably far as population so. density. And, and then you could look at it the other way too, because it's one thing to, that's, that's total membership on the rolls, which isn't necessarily an indicator of activity, active members versus population. And probably the best way to presume active members would be running the total number of members against like the number of temples in a country, perhaps that's the best I can give you. Yeah. But if you, maybe if you divided that around, then you'd get another interesting statistic. Cause that's when you look at something like, uh, like, you know, the U S is one thing, but I don't know. I mean, Brazil's got 11 temples coming its way, which is uh, awesome. And Chile and the Philippines are really close together at this point and Peru, but Philippines still has a lot more temples than the other ones. So it's, that would be some fun data to crunch too and really see if there's anything else there. What I don't expect to find out is that Turkmenistan actually jumps high on the list. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Poor And poor Europe. I know we've got the UK, but as a Europhile, 
yeah, breaks it's my funny. little heart. The countries that don't make the list are just kind of like a, a grayish color on the map. And there's this giant gray swath across all of Europe and, you know, Russia. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, not surprising, it's, but a little it's sad. It's basically the countries with no members. It's basically like all of mainland Asia and then North Africa. And then like all of Europe, it's just this giant, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's oh, that's true. It's game. not all, yeah. The, so there's the gray for Europe and then the yellow for mainland Asia and in the Middle East. So. Yeah, Middle East. And then of course, just, but you know, like China and Southeast Asian countries are not going to be high on the list, but you know, Korea makes the cut though. Yeah. South I mean, Korea. Well, and it, yeah. And then, and then I guess, so, so I guess it's not, I guess they kind of color coded it more by region. I'm, I'm now I'm reading the map a little better, so it's not like they colored it gray because it's not. But but it's funny because no, they, they didn't even bother. Yeah, they didn't the, bother the, putting in some. Oh no, no, there are faint borderlines. It's just hard to see anyway. But yeah, there's a one, lot they should have done better. They should listen to us. Less faint borderlines. Instead of doing it by region, they should have colored the countries in based exactly. on. That's what I thought. I thought based it was on be, yeah, based on the number. Not quite a heat map necessarily, but something like that to show at least the higher numbers, darker, deeper red or blue, and then lighter blue. Yep, agreed. That's what they should have done. And also, you know, which not not what. Yep. Am I right or am I right? Am yep. I right? So right? we've. I think we've torn this apart pretty well. Yep. I'm just curious. Oh. You were mentioned. You were talking about uh, uh, activity rates. And yeah. I'm just curious if you know, like, because you're you're exec sec in your word, is that right? I sure am. So, do you know, like, what what on average kind of uh, numbers are you seeing in, in sacrament reading? Um, as far as I percentages, I mean, I mean, this does fall more under the the domain of the uh, the ward clerk in terms of tracking attendance. But sure. um, our numbers have dipped, and I've I've been thinking about this. Obviously, the pandemic is a thing. Of course, I looked at our sacrament meeting attendance pre pandemic. Mm. And we were somewhere like ah two thirty or so per sacrament meeting would be pretty normal. I want to say I'm going to look it up right now. I'm lo- I'm logging into LCR right now, folks. Mm. You're getting a window into the classified realm of the church. We're talking about clearances. <laughs> yeah, the, this no, I mean, is, I, yeah. Um, of course, I don't want to like you know nothing proprietary. I, I'm just curious. I, I've I been serving as the ward membership or the assistant ward clerk over membership, uh, which is kind of a new calling for me. I've never been in a clerk position before. But I count. I it, it's I actually kind of enjoy standing up uh, at some time during the sacrament meeting and stretching my legs so I can go walk around and count people. Uh, yeah. And uh, we're pretty consistent, but around fifty to fifty-five percent. And we also count like we 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 are still. Uh, we'll talk about this later, but we're still um, broadcasting sacrament meeting over YouTube, ah. and I can see <clears throat> on the YouTube page how many people are viewing. So we have an estimate of how many people are viewing at home, and we count that in our sacrament meeting attendance numbers. So if you count so, the people at home, we're getting between fifty to fifty-five percent every week. And we were doing that before, but when we were hybrid like that, in that sense, mm-hmm. we, were, I, we, the clerk and I, put a spreadsheet together so we could get the total. And I was also looking for any trends, like I was looking at key milestones we might have had that would possibly affect attendance going up or down, like when masks came off, things like that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm looking, our average sacrament meeting attendance in 2020, at least pre-pandemic, which does not count for summertime, summertime, I think we we have dips in the D.C. area in particular in summer. A lot of people oh, go yeah. elsewhere. But we were around 64 to 68% sacrament meeting attendance um, in 2020. And now we do not have any Zoom or anything going on. Sacrament meeting is church is church and that's it. And let's see. And that hasn't significantly changed because I think we kind of went back to that because when did church went back to being church for everyone back in, uh, you know, June, July, but we're only at like 40, 44%. 
Like we've dipped and I'm trying to figure out what it is because I don't know if there's other people who just... And that's accounting for vacation stuff? And... Well, it's not. I mean, that's just the straight up attendance. We're not boosting huh. the numbers like saying, well, so-and-so is on vacation. We should count them as if they were here. Right. But uh, I, so I'm wondering if there's, there's usually a summer dip because I can't look at our spring numbers. We were still doing Zoom hybrid stuff then. So it's a bit different. So I, I have been thinking about this a lot. It's funny you brought it up because I'm wondering once we get back into the fall and the school year kicks in, if we will see that go to somewhere normal or if we are seeing some sort of permanent drop and who's not coming now because of it. And is it pandemic related, i.e. because they don't feel safe coming or is it pandemic related because some people got used to not coming to church and now they just don't want to come anymore regardless of the health and safety concerns. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, you brought that up and I, I was literally looking at no, it I was just last, curious. last night and I was thinking about that. My guess, and, I, and it's hard to say because I, I am... <sighs> My wife and I are relatively new in our ward, and our ward is relatively new itself because um, just a few months ago, they completely reorganized the ward boundaries in our stake. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's hard for me to say since I don't really know this ward well, but my guess is that we will see our attendance averages kind of go up a little bit once school starts again because I think a lot yeah. of people, it seems like there's a lot of different faces from week to week that, and I think people are going on vacation a lot. Nobody comes to Shelly, Idaho on vacation. So, we, which was funny, right? Cause like when we were both in Alexandria first ward, we would see people, we would see in some ways attendance go down each week because a lot of people would leave for vacation, but we'd also see yeah. a lot of people come and attend our ward because we were in such close proximity to DC. We, we had a lot of visitors, visitors yeah. all the time and including yeah. You know, on some weeks we'd have like a busload of like BYU gymnasts or something like that just show up to our building and uh, totally boost our numbers. And so, yeah, summer numbers were were really interesting in Alexandria. But here, like I said, like a lot of people leave for vacation, but nobody's like coming to Shelley uh, and, and attending church because, because like even if you were going to go to Idaho, I mean, I'm not Idaho is definitely a vacation spot uh, for a lot of reasons, especially if you love the outdoors. But we're not close to like craters of the moon national park we're not close to you know the west west yellowstone entrance and things like that like other places in idaho are so my, my guess is that we're seeing a little bit of a dip and that we should maybe I, i'm guessing we'll be closer to 60 to 65 percent attendance which is not bad you know when you consider things but anyway i was just curious about that because you brought it up like we're seeing uh back on that 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 uh church news article we were talking about we're seeing sheer number of baptized and confirmed members but that doesn't tell us how many active people are attending church and, and being active in their church community in, in, in those countries. So it'd be interesting to see that too. Although I doubt the church would, you know, release that to us. The church is cagier than Netflix when it comes to releasing their numbers, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to happen. Yeah. I'll be watching mine. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I hope it goes back up, but if it doesn't, then that's going to be, I'm going to come to the bishopric meeting and be like, look, we got to talk about something serious, brethren. Okay, we're spending all our time talking about the word barbecue. Let's table that. Get real for a second. All right. Um, random stuff here. Former Utah governor is the Tabernacle Choir's new president. Um, if you're a Utahan or a fan of the George W. Bush administration, this will mean a, a significantly more to you because Michael O. Levitt, the former governor of Utah, and was he HHS secretary under Bush? Is that what he did? Uh, that sounds right, but I can't remember i know he was in bush's cabinet and it was he served twice in the cabinet no he was he was the epa administrator and he was also secretary of health that's right i remember epa and i remember thinking what qualifications what qualifications to run the epa i mean i guess most cabinet members really often aren't qualified for their jobs but it does happen yeah 
It is funny for me to get Utah, unless you're like, especially in Utah, which deals a lot with industrial pollution. And unless you're some kind of maverick in the state who's worked really hard to um, mollify those issues, I don't see, I don't see why you'd be special for the EPA from Utah because it's just chemical love in Utah. Anyway, (laughs) but uh, regardless, there he goes. He's going to be the Motab Choir, sorry, the Tabernacle Choir's president, the Tab Cats people. He's replacing Ron Jarrett, who's been there since August 2012. This is cool. I'm surprised I've actually seen some weird pushback on social media, you know, alleging this sort of, this does not, this this just further blurs the line between the church and the Republican Party and politics. I'm like, okay, like if they were calling, if they like called Spencer Cox and said, leave the governorship. And you need, or if it was even the one, if it was Herbert or some somebody more recent, I, okay, maybe. But this or guy if they had was, done like a, a Nezertaf Benson and said, okay, Governor Cox, while you're serving as governor, you are also going to be, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like he served as governor from it was it was some time. It ago. was the I mean, early two thousands. Yeah, um, it was. He was governor for eleven years across the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. He joined the George W. Bush administration. He yeah. hasn't been in public office for in, over a decade, like, yeah. well over a decade. So I I think this is perfectly fine, right? It's good deal. He's a, Levitt's a nice guy. Most everyone oh, yeah. knows that Levitt's a nice guy, and and I would love this if I'd spent a career in politics. And who knows what he's been? He's probably been a consultant for the past handful of years, and you know, cashing in in that sense. And then you get you asked to do this. That's awesome. Who wouldn't love to be let the Tabernacle Choir be your gig, and taking care of the choir? That would be very fulfilling. I would love that. I would yep. relish that. Another really. I mean, I guess not really interesting, but sort of interesting thing that the article mentioned is that they've, they're changing the structure of it. It used to just be that there was a president and he would, you know, administer the the choir. And now they are changing it to a presidency model. So he has counselors mm. in his presidency over the Tabcats, which I thought was just kind of interesting little administrative change. It makes sense. Like they are an internationally renowned choir and they do international tours. They're also, the article mentioned that they're trying to increase their online presence to give better access to the choir's performances to people around the world. So if yeah. you're trying to like ma- run this choir that has international renown that has a big job to do, why not have a presidency instead of a president? So yeah. Take, take a note wait. people. If you have a president for your ward choir, you should also have a presidency. Was take note a choir related pun? No. Oh no. Okay. Uh, just one quick little uh, note <laughs> of interest is, um, ah. And this is probably about the most Mormon thing I could that I can say. Well, I, I don't know. I could say some pretty Mormon things, but this is a really Mormony thing. Uh, I actually uh, knew Governor Levitt's daughter. She and I worked together as EFY counselors. So the daughter of the governor of Utah and I were EFY counselors together on campus at BYU. At, well, Rick's. Well, was it Rick's or BYU? Anyway, whatever it was. Yeah, it felt it's like a pretty Mormony sentence. She was super nice. We had a fun time being uh, counselors together. I have no idea where she's at today or what she's doing, but I remember thinking she's cool. Her dad's probably pretty cool too. That's what I got. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> That's my claim to fame. I know former Governor Levitt's daughter, or I knew her. Uh, here's another little just interesting tidbit because, again, I think that's mostly what we have this week. Uh, the Activities Committee is making a comeback, sort of. This is not little. This is this is like – this is landmark. I was going to say. So, me, as far as I'm concerned. And it's interesting. I mean, the art, the art, what we've got linked here is the article that I think you wrote. Is it you? Or, yes, that's or, my visage. Yeah. So um, – and just kind of – 
talking about some of the recent updates to the manual that uh, kind of got announced. You, you might have gotten an email blast from the church about uh, administrative updates. And there's some interesting things in that update, and we could talk about others if we wanted to, like how it says that, you know, it says very specifically that we shouldn't be talking about politics in church, which I would love to happen in my ward. Um, but also, I mean, the main thing that all of us agree is the most important update is that basically there's now an option if you want to, to form an activities committee. And it kind of felt like it's like saying like, it could be ad hoc, it could maybe not be ad hoc, but there, there are activities committees coming back. And, you know, I'm fine with this. I'm for it, I guess, as long as I never get called to the activities committee. <laughs> I seriously spent... But you're good at activities, man. You, you, well, you gotta, I guess. I mean, you, that's what you people... You Kelsey have a knack for that kind of stuff. Well, that, I guess that's what people think about me because yeah. there seriously was about five to 10, no, let me think. It was at least six years of my life where I was on either on or leading an activities committee of some sort. And I, I was tired of it. I don't want to do that. Anymore. Well, that's fair. Uh, but you know I what I was tired of being in a ward council and being stuck planning all the activities. Yeah. I mean, I kind of liked the way we did it in Alexander first ward where we would call like a, and it was kind of we kind of did call an ad hoc committee, but what we would no, re, really do is like call a couple, and sometimes it would be two couples, mm-hmm. but often I think it worked better when there was just one couple who knew that they were in charge and say, "You're in charge of the Easter activity, and we are going to provide you an ad hoc activity." Like every organization was in charge of like providing one or one or two people to be a part of it, and I liked that because it was better than telling the primary president or the elders quorum president. Like on top of everything that you do leading this organization, you're also going to like plan this activity. I was like, that was a really, I know a lot of boards did that. You yourself, I believe got saddled with that. Yes, Jared. Let's talk about the Christmas party 2015 (laughs) when I was in charge of it for the elders quorum. Let's talk about how the time I very explicitly had invited the members of the quorum to come and help do setup and no one showed up. And it was me and my wife and my son sitting in his stroller doing everything and I'm sending emails wondering where these people are and realizing I had failed as a leader because no one would listen to me. And let's talk about that, Jerry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where were you? I don't know. My own presidency wasn't even, you weren't in my presidency, but where, No. my counselors didn't even show up until I started nagging people. And I was like, what is going on here? I might Why have been out of town. A lot of people like would leave for Christmas stuff. No like one early was out in that of ward. town. You're all just delinquents. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and that's, so I guess I should have said my original statement a little different. I like the way Alexander first word ended up doing it because yeah, in the beginning it used to be just like, we'll just make it this organization in charge of the activity. And that didn't work. But then eventually it was like, no, we'll make a couple in charge. We'll make each organization provide help or vault, you know, yeah. like, you know, from their organ. Anyway, but, the but in is, fairness, activities committees are coming back and that's probably for the best. And again, as long as I never have to serve on one, I just, I'm yeah. just, I just, I'm just done. <laughs> and I gripe about that time when I was elders quorum president and I got saddled with it. But in fairness, I feel, I see so many words where the relief society is just by default in charge of the Mm-mm. Christmas party every single year. That's and sexist, I know they, man. And I know they don't like it. So <laughs> in that sense, like I was all about being equitable and like, sure, this is, this is my, well, I'm down. We will do this. It'll be fine. Obviously there were things that happened that I didn't love, but I think the party was still great. But yep. I was, I, I've. I do not like that we default to the Relief Society just like being in charge of it. And when we, I mentioned this on Sunday in Ward Council, like, hey, I don't know if you guys saw this, something to think about. 
um, activities committees can be a thing again. And the Relief Society president immediately was like, you mean we don't have to be in charge of the Christmas party necessarily? And I said, yeah, that's what this could mean. I Her face just lit up because it's a huge undertaking and nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah. Well, and so, why, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to like over oversell this, but like that just feels really sexist to me that it's like, oh, the women, the women's organization will run the Christmas party or the women's organization will run the Easter party or whatever. It's like, how about we all women take will turns? We'll be our, our music conductors as well. That's another one I see quite a bit. Like this assumption that men can, shouldn't serve in board music callings for some reason. Because Unless you're like a pianist or an organist, like they will just take you no matter what your, your sex is. You know, if you could play the piano or the organ well, it's like, okay, that's it. But you're right. I, it's it's much more rare to see a man serving as like a ward chorister or a ward music coordinator or whatever, or the choir director, which and is I was spoiled. strange. And just very quick, but like growing up in the ward, I, the ward I grew up in, the guy who is the ward music chair and the chorus and the choir director has had that calling since like 1980. And they've never released him. And his wife is the organist for the ward. And for some reason, that is just like the understood way things should be because he's very good at it. He's an extremely talented musician. The the ward, uh, the Christmas and Easter programs are not just like, let's get up and sing a hymn, then have a kid come up and read a scripture. It's like a thing with, with he brings in ringers that play other instruments. You've got oboes and harps and all kinds of nonsense, right? And so only only up, instruments with a worshipful sound though, right? Yes, of course. And he's a great trumpeteer. And so he'll get up there and get his coronet and like start doing stuff. According to the um, handbook, that is a less worshipful sound. Oh, uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> anyway, so like growing up, like for one thing, I always saw all the time, he was up there conducting set, the music and he always has been. And it's like one of the most bizarrely consistent callings I've ever seen. And I'm amazed that even across different bishops, ward boundaries changing, stake boundaries changing, Everyone's just been like, "Not nah, Dave just stays there. We're never going to call. We're never going to feel inspired that he needs to do any other calling. <laughs> that is I'm for it. If it works, Why if it not? ain't broke, right? Yeah. All right. Some quick stuff here. A missionary on TV in Kosovo for the second time in less than a month, an American missionary appeared on TV. Previously, last month, two missionaries appeared on TV in the Republic of Georgia, uh, not wearing ties. I don't know that was a, one. Of, sometimes that's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing in the Republic of Georgia. I thought it would be a thing in like Russia, perhaps. But Georgia is free and wonderful and beautiful. And I, it's very high on my travel list and I've never been. Um, we should go to Georgia, Jared. Let's do it. We should. I, wa- I want to. I really want to see Tbilisi and some of the other cities. I've been dying to go there. Anyway. This is pretty cool. This one, this is just one missionary shows up on television in Kosovo. Kosovo, the country recognized by most countries in the world, but not all, least of all Serbia uh, and Russia. But Kosovo is part of the Albania mission. Um, Kosovo and people are eth- northern Albanians ethnically. Essentially, isn't that Kosovars? Not Kosovo. Kosovoans. Yeah, I, I wanted to be. I, if you look up Kosovar, that was a term the Yugoslavs would use to describe the Albanian language they spoke in Kosovo. Oh. It's a bit goofy, but either way, whatever we want to I call it. I should have known them. better to correct you on geographical terms. No, I'm no, sorry. no. Got, I'm, sorry. I'm, st- I'm learning these things too, right? I'm not a Balkanophile completely, but very, very cool. I, I just This is just cool news. This is LDS Living covered this. This terrific missionary, Jonah Pingree, Pingree, Pingree not Pingree, Pingree. It's on some kind of morning, evening chat type show. Obviously, I don't speak a lick of Albanian, so I have no idea what they discuss. There's a couple of areas where I could hear some cognates that I think were, you know, you can hear like profiti or something like that. That sounds like profit or what have you. Other way, I love whoever's arranging this, whoever's having the foresight to do these sorts of things. Uh, Kosovo is part of the Albania Tirana mission. 
good for them. There's only a couple branches in the country. Uh, neighboring Albania has a whole stake, which is a little fun bit of trivia. Of all the places in Eastern Europe, Albania has got a stake. Uh, and it's just great. Nothing else cool about it. Just love that it showed up here. And they, uh, I think it's cool. You know, um, this is this is not unprecedented. If you're you know familiar with like the Osmond family, Don Osmond, who is Donnie's son, um, he served a mission in England in, in the United Kingdom, and uh, the Osmonds are still quite popular and well known. I guess they're known here as well. We continue to get the Osmonds on things like Dancing with the Stars and things like that. But uh, but anyway, Don served in Britain and. Um, he as as far as I understand it, like, I mean, he did normal proselyting things, but he also did stuff like this because it was a good chance for the church to have a face on the television and to get you know to for people to hear from a missionary and get to know the, our church a little better. And I think that's great. Like if you have an opportunity to do some cool PR stuff like this, and it seems like from this article anyway, it seems. Like, I mean, I know it's an LDS Living magazine, but uh, it seems like he's well received and people like seeing this American guy speaking. Uh, Albanian on their show and talking about their food and stuff like that. So I don't know, you know, if this is a good way to to get the word out that the church is in the country and that, you know, this is who we are and this is, you know, look out for these young men and talk to them if you get a chance, like why not? Right. Yeah. A, cu- a couple corrections, by the way, apparently uh, there, there are links, there's link to a church news article about it. They say it's the Adriatic South mission now, not just the Albania mission. So I'm sure that covers other, re- probably Bosnia's, you know, probably other countries are in it as well. Sure. So I want to cover that. And the church news article actually goes a bit more in detail and talks about how he had struggled learning the language in the first place. So it's kind of a great miracle that he spoke so fluently on screen. Uh, and his mission, and his companion is also an Albanian. So that's that's got to help. That's a great way to rock. What it. language rock family? Language. I mean, beyond Indo-European, what language family is Albanian in? What is it? Re- is it related it's to? Kind anything? of on its own. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think if it's actually what it falls. Let's see here. Early forms Proto-Albanian dialects. I'm trying to see if it technically even it is Indo-European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, well, some languages are not. Most of the European languages are Indo-European. Like you get Not smell, Hungarian, uh, Finnish, or Estonian, though. Or um, Basque, right? Or Basque. Yeah, ba- Basque is the most honked up of all of them. Basque is uh, something else entirely. I'm trying to see where it might fall into the. Anyways, we can spare you, everyone, a deep dive into the linguist- the affinities of Albanian and where it comes from. But it's considered kind of an isolate within the Indo-European language family because it's not really linked to anything else. I think it comes from one of the Paleo-Balkan languages of antiquity. Well, and that would make it, I think, difficult to learn because like, you you have very little to tie it to. You know, like I've been doing, you know, I studied Spanish and learned Spanish for my mission. And then I, uh, um, I've been doing a little bit of French just for kicks as a hobby on Duolingo. And it's easy because I can connect it to English and I can connect it to Spanish, you know, and if you were trying to learn a language like Albanian and you couldn't <laughs> connect it to anything, yeah, you know, you're yeah. just starting from scratch. Yeah. I'm looking at this little language tree thing and it is its own branch. It is technically, like you said, an Indo-European language, uh, but nothing else thing. is sharing this branch on the tree. So anyway, Good cool. job, well, Albania. Good. I, I love the. For, I don't know why I love so much that we have a stake there. I don't know if it's just because of Albania's interesting political history. You know, it was allied with the Soviets, not the Yugoslavs. Um, they just very much did its own. Has a whole interesting history. It was a communist country. It's democratized. Obviously, most of the time now you see it depicted as one of these places where lots of thugs are going to abduct your children, that kind of thing. Um, but it's cool. It's just, of all the countries, and it's largely Islamic too, secular, but 
Islamic in, in history and culture. And uh, we have a, a stake of Zion there. I don't even think we have a stake in Greece. And we've been having missionaries in Greece for like 100 years. So. Right. No, it's pretty cool. Good for you, Albania. Good for you. And Kosovo. And Kosovo, but good for you, Kosovo. Separate good for you, country. Kosovo, which is, Kosovo. is yes, ind- independent. What is it? Is it, I wonder if Kosovo, is, it uh, a, is it considered a city state, a principality? Like what is it? No, it's, no, it's much bigger. It's much larger than that. I mean, Kosovo is almost the size of Montenegro. It's definitely not. It's not uh, like a Montenegro isn't that big either, Jeff. I know, but a city state is something like Monaco or the Vatican. Right. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, okay. then there's the then there's the micro states like Liechtenstein sure. and San Marino, which do have different cities in them, but they're still very tiny. Andorra right. is a little bit bigger, but also tiny and has different cities. Um, these ones are just, they're just small, but they're not. So Kosovo is larger than Liechtenstein. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 let's keep, let's keep talking about missionary news. And this is interesting because this isn't necessarily new news. Like this was like definitely kind of made the rounds on social media among LDS people because it's such a novelty, but this actually happened a year ago. Uh, in Idaho Falls, which is very close to where I currently live, but uh, a man apparently had n- robbed two missionaries at knife point on a sidewalk in Idaho Falls uh, because they had backpacks and he assumed that there would be drugs in their backpack. Sure. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. I guess this, I mean, with, this is a, well, and the, and it clarifies later on in the story. It does talk about how this man not only had some drug issues, but uh, likely has some mental health issues. But it's funny because like, you know, when we're talking about population density of the church uh, in Idaho Falls, it's very high. Like there's a lot of LDS people. Yeah. And if you don't know a member of the church, you at least still are familiar with the church because it's, it's everywhere here. And so the fact that a man in Idaho Falls would see two missionaries and with backpacks and think these nicely dressed young men in white shirts <laughs> with conservative haircuts probably have drugs in that backpack. Like, it's just an odd thing, and that's I think why it's this has been going around. But the reason why it's came up in the news is it's it's almost a year later, and the man was finally sentenced. There was a plea bargain. Uh, there is a, a, we won't go into all the details, but there is there were it looks like there were some concessions made uh, recognizing his issue with drugs and mental health, so he's getting some treatment. But on top of that, he's also going to be sentenced to some time in prison. Uh, anyway, it was just like an, a novelty because it's like just a funny story to think about when you think, yeah. Why would anybody rob LDS missionaries assuming that they had drugs on them? And they never recovered the backpack. I know. That was going to say that was, <laughs> that was like the last line. The last line of the article is the missionary's backpack was never recovered. It's like, dun, oh. dun, dun. Like, I mean, oh, no. Like, their flip chart. I guess we don't have flip charts anymore. I, I mean, unless they were keeping their phone in there and not in their pocket. You're pretty okay. I mean, you don't even have the whole, like the area book, all that stuff's digital now. So I guess, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that maybe personal scriptures were in there, which can be a loss. You know, you've got your writing in the margin, but a lot of you, even that, like a lot of missionaries are just using tablets now uh, when they go out, they're not necessarily carrying around physical scriptures. So there might not have been much, like you said, much of a loss at all, unless it was a really nice backpack. Jared, quick pull for you and for our listeners as well. I was thinking about the other day, like I, I haven't cracked open my old quad in a while. I, I largely read on my phone or on online or something like that. But my quad is full of my notes and all, all my a lot more stuff. I do highlight things online and save them to my account. I was thinking if I should go through my quad page by page and then go on to LDS, sorry, churchofjesuschrist.org and highlight and add all the same remarks and references 
that I have in my quad and digitize them. Has anyone else ever done this? I'm curious about that. If anyone, else um, ever done this. you know, it might be an interesting exercise. Personally, I don't think I would do that. I think I, I could see going through and seeing if I felt like there was anything like noteworthy. Like you know, sometimes I have quotes in the margins or or just like little insights and stuff. But I kind of like the idea of like you know, like the scripture study should always be fresh, and so it's kind of nice even to like. I know people who you know will read through a copy of the scriptures once or twice or whatever a certain amount of times, and then like sh- shelve it or give it away, and then start it fresh again because they don't want to be yeah. influenced by what they thought was important the last time they read it or the two times ago that they read it or whatever. There's some I, some of the brethren have even said they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no like uh, other Iring, uh, President Iring has been really specific about how he'll get like a you know just a paperback blue missionary type copy and like read through it looking for certain things and mark it up. But then once he's done that, like again, shelve it or give it away and then start with a fresh copy because he's looking for something else. So I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, I think there could be value in that because it might be nice to see things that you thought were important or things that spoke to you or notes that you jotted down in the past. But I don't know if you necessarily want to be like, and this therefore is, these are the important scriptures to me. And these are the insights that I want yeah. to have. I don't know. Like well, let's, you, let's look at the flip side of this, though. When I've seen general authorities, for example, attending meetings, they are largely getting out their iPads when they're like f- flipping around, finding scriptures, things that come to their mind. I'm assuming they take notes in them as well. And unless they're giving them new church accounts anytime they want to do this, I would assume that there's no, there is not an effort to wipe the slate clean and start over with your annotations if you're doing it all digitally. I, That's true. I would, I would love to, if you're a general authority and want to let us pick your brain on this, please, by all means, come on. Not if you're one of those old 70s. That's not a general authority. That Mm-mm. doesn't work. Not those stake 70s. We don't want to talk to you, stake 70s. <laughs> okay. A couple quick mentions here. The Lima Temple had a cross projected upon it. What? That symbol of, of not Latter-day Saintdom? Yeah. So there was a, it's kind of cool. They did it with projection mapping. There was uh, people gathered in July on the grounds of the Lima, Peru temple and a program called Oramos por el Peru, which means we pray for Peru. Uh, and there was, it was a program broadcast on national television. It was a great exercise in ecumenism with different faiths talking about their love for Peru and everything that was important about Peru. But it was this, uh, major effort across faith lines. And they, they did all kinds of projection mapping on the, uh, on the temple in Peru. I mean, you see imagery here of like the front of the temple with like Machu Picchu projected upon it. It wasn't just the cross, but we were, we played ball with everybody putting on what they wanted to put on and letting the big temple walls serve as a projection backdrop for whatever they were doing. So it's more than just the cross, but obviously it stands out when you see this image of a big illuminated cross upon one of our buildings. Cause that might be the first time in history of the church that we've had a cross on one of our temples would be my guess. I like it. I don't cool. know. I think it's cool. Like, it's so funny because like we get up and come up with all these reasons why we don't use crosses as symbolism, and it, and it gets to the point where you hear some members like basically making these arguments that we are anti-cross as a symbol, and I, yeah, yeah. I think that can very easily be overstated. I don't think we're anti-cross, uh, and I don't think there's really any particular particularly strong reason why we don't put crosses other than that we see ourselves as a different type of Christian church. Like I think there is an effort to distinguish ourselves from other Christians, 
Uh, and that's probably the main reason we don't put crosses up. But this whole like, it's a symbol of his death when we want to celebrate a living Christ and things like that. It's like the cross can be a, rec- a symbol of anything you want it to be, including the resurrection, including, you know what I mean? Anyway, so yeah. I just think well, it's there, funny. There like, a- I just think it can be, people can get a little strong and a little out of hand. I mean, members of the church with their anti-cross sentiment. So the fact that one was projected onto the side of the temple, while, like you said, is maybe unprecedented, I think it's great. You know, it's a symbol of Christianity. In your article, you said something about, like, yay for ecumenism, or however you say that, uh, which, again, like, we are Christians. We want to have fellowship with fellow Christians. So why not? Why not embrace some nice uh, Christ typology, including the cross, the symbol to of be, the cross? To be clear, there is a an entry on the church's website called, it just says cross, Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Cross, gospel topics, cross. It does say the classic line, you know, they talk about how, how the cross is a symbol of the death and resurrection and a sincere expression of faith. Um, and we also remember that. But because the Savior lives, we do not use the symbol of his death as the symbol of our faith. That's pretty much all it says. And it has a link to a uh, talk from President Hinckley. And that's the Which is fine. One. But I, like I said, I think you can take that and run with it a bit far. In fact, I think if you run with it more than two steps from that statement, it's a bit far. <laughs> so... Like, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I see that and I, and I can understand that, that sentiment, but it's like, I don't, I, I just hate that it gets to the point where people, sometimes people in the church see a cross and they, and they kind of like look down on another church for having a cross because they're like, oh, look at them celebrating the death of the savior when we should be recognizing the living savior. It's like, I hey know, man, it's their faith. They're expressing their faith. It's our faith. But their too. faith is wrong, Jared. It's wrong. All right, we're moving on. Come um, on. <laughs> so just. Really quick, I don't know if this is really, there's not much to delve into, but it was just worth mentioning. The San San Salvador, Brazil temple. I, I did that with a very Spanish accent. I'm sure I could, there's a probably a better Brazilian Portuguese accent with which to say that. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh man, let's yes. not get all, that's what you it see, is. now you're getting all snobby linguistically when, <laughs> when before we were talking about being snobby symbolically. <laughs> I can, with our iconography. Anyway, San Salvador, Brazil. It's a Latin American country, and I did my best with a Latin American accent. Uh, they just have their groundbreaking. And it's just really cool because the, the article mentioned actually up there in the headline header, uh, this is the 11th temple for Brazil, uh, which is great. Like It's a big country, and we don't know, like we said from that earlier map, what the population density is, but it's a pretty dang big country. And the fact that we have now 11 temples in it, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, good for that. We're not. We don't have eleven temples. We're starting the eleventh temple. It's going to happen, though. Yeah, it's going to happen. All right, folks. It's been a while since we've bothered you with talking about pandemic things and vaccines. So it's important that we keep that going. Um, and at this point, I'll watch in our analytics as it all shuts down. I was just <laughs> warning you up front. I know we're already we're already at time. Anyway, just a, there was an article up by Common Consent. I think this is a fair thing we can all discuss, though, frankly, to wherever we stand on a number of issues, but uh, by Sam Brunson, grading the church's pandemic response. Um, Sam has his point of view, but his point is almost 18 months into the pandemic. Just let, let's reflect on what the church has done and and what hasn't done, perhaps, or what we've done in our local units and kind of grade how good of a job we've done with this. I mean, his conclusions, speaking broadly, he thinks the church let out very strongly on the pandemic because we kind of, before we were mandated to, the church has shut everything down. If you remember that, it was a swift, strange week there in mid-March of 2020 when all of a sudden it's like these dominoes started falling. They closed the MTC. They did this, did this. And then they're like, boom, no more church meetings in person at all. 
Uh, and they were pretty, uh, I think they were pretty ahead of that. But in the time since then, uh, as Sam argues, it's more like we've kind of just, I don't know, just kind of floated back and forth, not really picking a lane completely, like sort of saying vaccination's good and you should do it, but not not embracing all the tools we have to get that message across. I mean, Sam basically is saying like, you know, yeah, they message on their social media posts about the brethren getting vaccinated. Sure, there are updates to handbooks. There's things that we have done that are very clear. The church has a clear pro-vaccination stance in general, but especially with regards to the pandemic. But there's also not a letter from the pulpit being read. Yeah, it's a clear stance, but it's not a loud stance. It's not a loud stance. Yeah, and and I I would agree with that. I mean, it, it concerns me at the same time because... You and I are, as Sam likes to phrase it, people who are, you know, always on people who are online a lot. Uh, I, I think I'm online all the time. I'm very online. That's the expression he uses. And so we see stuff like this. I care about handbook updates. We read these sorts of things. But are lay members getting that messaging? Are we assuming all the lay members are on Facebook and Instagram and getting that messaging? Right. And, and he if points so- out, you know, like there have been t- plenty of times in the past where the church has felt like this is an important message and they have a signed, you know, first presidency letter that they instruct to be read from all pulpits and sacrament meeting. And so then, you know, the question arises like, well, if this is so important and they're doing all this messaging and they're showing pictures of the first presidency getting vaccinated and they're tweeting about it, why is there not a letter? You know, like you said, because like people might, who are less online than us may not be aware of those things. This is an important issue. This is an issue that the church has a stance on why are we not hearing a letter from the first presidency being read out saying, Hey, no, seriously, go get it. I don't know. I don't know either. And it's uh, so that's, that's clear. I mean, as we're thinking about how the church is done, that's the thing for me that I would love to see more of. And it's not like we need to have our hands held and be told what to do. And sometimes I think a lot we of do, people, Jeff, sometimes we do. And maybe we do, but, and I think a lot of us would agree with that. Like, you know, we talk about teaching us correct principles and the people will govern themselves and all that kind of stuff. I think what's been fascinating is we we shared this jokey, uh, just like this meme on the, the Facebook page last week, I think it was, maybe a week and a half ago, that well, it was taking the beat of follow the prophet, but basically saying like Russell was a prophet, asked us to obey, get vaccinated. It was using, it was basically yeah. saying get vaccinated, but no, but people won't listen and do it. And now Delta is surging in Utah of all places where people won't do it, won't, won't get vaccinated. The comments were fascinating to me because usually on our Facebook page, it's reasonably 50-50. That's fine. We have people who are not in favor of the vaccine for a number of reasons and feel that they have the agency to refuse it. And we have people who are very much in favor of it. But in this case, I don't know if we got sent somewhere else, but it was almost bombed with people very upset that this was even being shared as if we were we were twisting the words of the prophet. We have not been commanded to do anything, which is true. I haven't said, thus saith the Lord, ye are commanded to be vaccinated. How often does that even get said? Very rare. And for devotees <laughs> of President Benson, we should know that one of his main points of the prophet was saying just because the prophet doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean it's not a commandment from or counsel from God. Yeah. Um, so the comments surprised me uh, much. They were, they were, different from what I thought we were going to have uh, in that sense. But it strikes me as so interesting that, that folks are are so obsessed with the rugged individualism here. That's like, you know, they're going out of their way. Every single statement by the church says getting vaccinated is our personal decision, which it absolutely is. Um, obeying all sorts of counsel is a personal decision. And I think the church is just, we always use language like that. I mean, there are times when it's going to be like, here is a commandment. This is church doctrine this is a commandment. This is something we do and we know about. But a lot of things we're asked to do that are, we're being asked 
by our leadership that we have faith in to be prophets or even all the way down to local leaders that they have inspired callings. Um, and when we just try to, we're trying to parse words and just say, well, it says it's my personal choice. My personal choice says no. And it's like, well, what about the paragraph right before that in the handbook that says the church has a long history of vaccination and we encourage everyone to get vaccinated as the best means to like end the pandemic. But we ignore that because the next paragraph says, well, it's choice. my choice. It's my, but it's my choice. It's like, okay, okay. Well, and then, you know, and, and that stuff gets all twisted around too, because they you know it's like, you know, people like to say, you know, when the, you know, when people have a gripe about like the BYU honor code, it's like, well, it's your choice. If you don't like it, you can leave BYU, you know, and it, they, things yeah. like that. And sort of like, you know, personal choice is, is kind of a scapegoat phrase, I think, or, or just a scapegoat thing because because people will use it to mean whatever they want like here is a standard you have to follow it as a member of this church got it you know and it's like boy what about personal choice well if you don't like it leave you know (laughs) it's like well you know they're telling us to get vaccinated if you don't want to get vaccinated leave the church you know it just it 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 doesn't work and it's also funny to me and i don't remember i don't think sam necessarily talked when i did this but i one of the things that this conversation was reminding me of you know with the whole like you know, we don't necessarily need to be commanded in all things. And, you know, the church doesn't, you know, has said these things. It doesn't need to do more. But then you think about something like President Hinckley offhand, like it was an offhand comment in a youth fireside talk saying something about one set of earrings in women's ears. And it was just like this, like just one pair. And then he keeps it on with the rest of the talk. Doesn't say anything else about it for the rest of the talk. And the BYU honor code got changed you know, hundreds of thousands of women in the church removed their second pair of earrings. Like it became like this enforced standard at BYU and at youth dances and things like that. And it was like this really, and and the church even released an official statement saying like, we take no official position on how many, you know, earrings a woman should wear. But Elder Bednar gave a talk, you know, within the last decade where he talked about how somebody broke up with his girlfriend because she didn't take out her second pair of earrings. And like, you know, it's a... It's so funny that it's sort of like, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, this offhand remark means we have to change all of our standards and mode of behavior. And then you get some really strong and direct statements about vaccinations. And it's like, hey, this isn't a commandment, man. You know, so I don't know. People will take what they want and treat it seriously based on their personal choice and preferences. But I don't know. I push back a little bit. The church, not on that, but the church, the church's website, once again, uh, on tr- in true to the faith mm-hmm. does say girls or women that want to have their ears pierced are encouraged to wear only one pair of modest earrings. Those who choose to disregard this counsel show a lack of respect for themselves and God. They will someday regret their decision. This only proves my point, Jeff. Like, yeah. like again, that that with an offhand remark from the president of the church, you know, that he never elaborated on, at least in that talk, uh, becomes this thing that makes it onto the church website, has its own entry <laughs> almost on the, on the church church's website. Uh, that becomes like an important thing that we talk about and enforce and vaccinations does not. It, uh, Brent, Sam mentions uh, briefly that BYU uh, Hawaii is requiring vaccinations, but then that leads him to the question of why aren't BYU Provo and BYU Idaho requiring it? Why is, you know, we're starting to see more and more corporations, private entities in the United States start to require their employees, you know, especially, you know, employees that come into the office that, you know, they're required to either be vaccinated or show proof of a negative COVID test. Why isn't the church doing that with their employees? Why aren't we doing that with church leadership and saying like, hey, if you serve in a presidency 
or you know in local leadership area leadership whatever you need that your first priority is the health and protection of your congregants therefore you are required to be vaccinated and if you choose not to be then we could release you i mean maybe that's too harsh but i i just don't understand why there are definitely things if the church if it is a priority uh for the church to support and get people vaccinated and so that we can open temples again so that we can resume normal operations so that we can keep each other healthy and alive it's just kind of interesting that they're not doing more within their power that would not be unprecedented to do uh to make that happen no i mean like i'm shocked with with remember that good run we had there in the mid aughts when like 30% of conference talks talked were about pornography because clearly it was a problem within the ranks of the church. If we can marshal the resources to have everyone really just just going after pornography, surely we can more overtly and transparently address uh, the importance of getting vaccinated. While stressing, of course, it's a personal choice because we don't want to make anyone feel bad. If you have like if you consult with your doctor and you have medical concerns about being vaccinated. That's a completely legitimate concern and something you should talk about. And we about, always have to give that caveat, right? That <clears throat> of course there are like I know somebody who the last time they had a vaccination ended up in the hospital because their body reacted and it wasn't a you know COVID. It was a it was the pneumonia vaccine. I, I've also reacted very poorly to pneumonia vaccines. Oh, here's so, some HIPAA stuff again, I guess. But yeah, oh my gosh, is. Jeff, we're Sorry. both Sorry. going to jail. Sorry, you can't um, ask me these but questions. But this person, uh, yeah. Ended up in the hospital, and then you know, and they said, "I don't think I should be getting this vaccine." And they consulted with their doctor, and they said, "Yeah, if you if you had that you know terrible of a reaction to this vaccine in the past, then it's probably the best for you not to to get this vaccine." So I get that. Like there are obviously going to be exceptions, but most of us are not exceptions. No matter how much you think that you're an exception. <laughs> You listener who who's sitting here smugly defying us inside your mind, <laughs> you are probably not. And you know, if you think you are, talk to a doctor, and that doctor will probably say, "I see no reason why you should not be vaccinated to protect yourself and the people around you." Yeah, so. I, I can't stress this enough, folks. Like, there is not some conspiracy, especially if your concern is that the vaccines were for emergency youth authorization. Okay, well, Pfizer is going to be fully approved within a matter of weeks at this point. So. That can, if that's a concern, okay. I mean, that's I I get it. I don't totally agree with it because I think they go through robust processes even for emergency use. Yes. I mean, think about this. This is not first of all private industry putting their name on the line isn't going to just do it just all hastily without vetting their product before putting it out there in the wild, right? No one's going to do that for any product, least of all a vaccine that could that could seriously hurt people if they did it incorrectly. So think about that. On their own, they care about quality control. It's still vetted through the FDA. It's just given emergency youth authorization. I, I There are, should not be those concerns there that this is something that's going to ruin your life or impair you, or then least of all the whole conspiracy side that this is by the about government control or, or who knows what else. Because like we've all have had vaccines in the United States in some capacity f- throughout our lives. I mean, I had to get like Tdap boosters just to, cause my kids were being born. Whoop-de-doo. Like these are just, these are things we do and it's fine. And I don't want to, I said whoop-de-doo and I'm sorry for that. We don't, I don't want to diminish anyone's concerns, but, but truly the vaccines are safe. There are always in every single vaccine going to be outliers and statistical anomalies and people who still get sick, people who are still getting COVID. We're seeing a lot of now, especially cause of the Delta variant, even if you're vaccinated. But that happens with all vaccines. That's not something new. Vaccines are not 
I think one of the better analogs I saw is a seatbelt and someone was raving on TikTok about like, did you see this new government mandate? What is this thing? What is this thing? And they can't even guarantee that I won't die in an accident. What is the point of this? I know I shouldn't have this. And it's a perfect analog for it. A vaccine, the idea is to keep you out of the hospital. And and it also usually keeps you from getting sick in the first place. That's the point. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons for the vaccine and none of them are to guarantee that you will not get this disease or get sick from it. But like it helps prevent spreading it. It helps prevent severe instances of the disease. In some cases, it prevents you from getting it. That's great. You know, you know, especially with this vaccine, it's the most effective vaccine we've seen in the history of vaccines. But, you know, there's always going to be, like you said, those outliers, and there's always going to be people who have breakthrough infections anyway. Um, and it's amazing how good the COVID vaccine is compared to like the one no, thing like I think I said, is, in the history of vaccines, there's never been in a vaccine this effective. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's, I think it's been good and educational for a lot of us because we don't think much about the effectiveness rates of flu shots or pneumonia vaccines or even polio vaccines or anything like that. But uh, I mean, this is the way out of it though, my friends. And if you are on the fence, please seriously consider your reasons for it. And I'm sure we all have family members or other friends who, um, especially within our faith community, who are uh, not on board. But the only way out of this pandemic is either we all get COVID or we get vaccinated. And the only way the economy and everything else gets back to normal is if the pandemic stops. Also, if you, That's like it. you said, That's if you it. have, con- if you have concerns and you, and you need to learn more about it, please use a good source. Like you wouldn't go to like John D- D- Dillon or however you say his name to learn about the church, right? Therefore you also shouldn't go to an anti-vaxxer site or a conspiracy theory site, or even a lot of these just kind of offshoot news sites to learn about no. the effectiveness and the safety of the vaccine find somebody who is an expert who has authority to talk about this and, you know, in a way that is correct and knowledgeable to learn, not from whatever site is just going to reinforce your own bias. Anyway, we we're kind of preaching here. No, there we go. We're good. We're running long. Let's uh, Can I just, one more. Yeah. One let more. me just talk. And we don't need to talk about this very long. In fact, I, I think it's best if we don't, but it was just really interesting <laughs> to me. I came across this on Twitter and I kind of had to do a little digging just to make sure, you know, cause like, when we talk about Desnet, which we have before, and when we talk mm-hmm. about people who are doxxed, you know, I, I don't like giving a lot of press to that. Like, first of all, I don't think it's our job to dox anybody. So, you know, I don't think that's what Twim does. So I don't want to mention names here. But yeah, the fact, the, and then the people who were talking about this on Twitter were being a little cagey about it because I think they were just trying not to give a lot of attention to this individual. Um, because, you know, why would you give attention to somebody who's spouting white supremacy? <laughs> chunk in the name of the church. But you know, if you're not familiar with Desnet, if you haven't listened to us talk about before, it is a movement uh, mo- largely on Twitter, but online uh, of people who say that they are just, you know, for the profit and for, you know, strengthening the church, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that they say are, are part of their mission statement. But when you dig drill down into it, a lot of many of the prominent frequent people who post under the Desnet hashtag and Desnet is short for Deseret, Deseret Nation. A lot of these people actually believe some very vile things. We talked about uh, a how somebody revealed uh, screenshots of a Discord uh, chat where mm-hmm. a lot of these Desnet people were sharing their thoughts, and it was all very sexist and anti-Semitic and anti-Black and anti—you know, just homophobic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, misogynistic. We could go on. You know, these are not good things, and these are not things that uh, really belong in. Zion or in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway, 
there's been an account on Twitter that has dedicated itself to doxing these Desnat people because most of them post anonymously. And very famously, I'm sure you talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, one of these people who got doxed was an attorney, an assistant attorney general for the state of Alaska, and he ended up losing his job, mm-hmm. which created some controversy too about, you know, the. so that's why I, I don't want to join in on the doxing. But there was a, another prominent uh, Desnat poster who got doxed recently. He's from the state of Virginia. He had worked for Booz Allen Hamilton, and he lost his job there. So what he has done he has gone onto Patreon and has created a Patreon account. And the whole point of, you know, if you if you donate to his Patreon, as Jeff noted at the beginning of the show, it's $37. I, I, when I first clicked on this, I, I for some reason, uh, when I first found this, it came up uh, on the European Patreon. And it ended up being like 36 euros, which I <laughs> thought was strange. It's, a, it's, a, it's an odd number for him to be asking for. Anyway... What he's doing, and I'll, and I'll go ahead and tell you, and we're not going to give you links here because we don't want to drive people to his site. But uh, his Patreon uh, is, it's a community for men, for men who want yeah, to think, well, yes. yes, who want to think and speak without fear of intimidation to stop worrying about the approval of people who hate you to get out of corporate America while the getting is good. And so really what this is code for is he's like, if you have reprehensible views, racist, homophobic, sexist, et cetera, white supremacists, uh, we're, first of all, we're here to help you prevent you from getting doxxed. And he talks about that later on. There's a list of things that he's going to help you with. One of them is operational security, meaning how to keep yourself, keep your identity private so you can continue to say terrible things online. And then also, though, he's like uh, trying to teach people how to become more self sufficient so that if you do get fired after being doxxed, you can continue to have terrible views and express them and then support yourself with your own business. Well, that's <laughs> the important thing. You know, that's the important part. Right. And what's, what's it, and what the reason why I thought this was worth bringing up is not, I mean, it's, it is an interesting sort of side story. Uh, but the other interesting thing is that like this person is making such an effort to help people hold and express reprehensible views that are antithetical to being a good human, but also definitely to being a good Christian, let alone a Latter-day Saint. And instead of like saying like, man, you know, I really should reevaluate my racism and sexism and anti-Semitism. And and I don't have no idea how anti-Semitism works in a, in a church where we, you know, constantly loud being children of Israel. Please explain to me how that works. But anyway, um, instead of like saying like, huh, maybe, maybe I should be a better person. Instead, they're like, here's how to continue being a horrible person and not have to suffer the ill effects of it. Like, you know, they're, they're trying to remove consequences from choices and actions, mm-hmm. which is just, I don't know. It's crazy to me. So anyway, like I said, I'm not going to give names here. I'm not going to point you to his Patreon. Uh, if you dig, you can find this information if you're really interested but uh, yeah, like seriously, people, if if people call you out for being bad, maybe maybe it's time to reevaluate and figure out, oh, maybe this is bad. Maybe I need to be better instead of how can I get away with this in a better way and charge people so I can teach them how to get away with it too. You could report it to Patreon, by the way. Patreon might- You can. Might, in might, fact, might and that's, that was the original link that I found is that uh, it, was, it was a link to uh, let Patreon know that this is- you know, not a worthwhile cause and that they can, you know, get blocked by Patreon. 
Anyway, well, I like it's what it always says on Patreon. Like so and so, like ours says, so and so is producing podcast. This will say so and so is producing racism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good. Well, there's a good note to leave on, folks. Uh, we've we had a fun show, and then we talked about all the all the shortcomings of so many of our flock, but we still love them, and we love all of you. We love everyone, and hope we can all love each other a little bit better and uh, not be racists and be our brothers keepers. Remember yep. that, folks. Remember the whole covenant you make a baptism, you know, mourn with those who mourn, comfort those who stand in need of comfort. Let's try to do more. Bear one each other's bear one another's burdens. That whole thing. Just think about how that might apply in your life. And I'll do the same. So it's been a great week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Jared, pleasure to have you here as always, my friend. As always. As always. And no, we haven't done news in a while because we did we did Keith Erickson uh, That's a right. while ago. Anyway, so it's good to have you back for some news, buddy. And everyone, thanks for taking the time to listen. We love doing the show and we can't do it without you. So thank you very much for your continued support and uh, patronage. And big shout out to those patrons. We talked about Patreon a lot this week. But thanks to all of you for taking the time to tune in. For Jared, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. And until we speak again, be well, be holy, and be happy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.